Welcome to Food for Thought, the podcast about anything and everything as it relates to health and wellness. And today we need to do a bit of a, not so much a detour, but a pause and play as we're supposed to be talking about concussion nutrition in this episode, but due to, you know, life, things change. After all, what are plans but things that get rearranged because something derailed them? Or something like that. In any event, Cheryl will be joining us in June to talk about the role and relationship of nutrition in concussion recovery and possibly even prevention. I know, crazy, and we are super stoked about that. But in the meantime, you get little old me again. I'm Carissa McKay, one of the health promotion specialists here in Edmonton, and I promised that after the last monopod where I sang that I wouldn't subject you to that again. And so being true to my word, I'm going to roll right into it. Pre-workout supplements. What is the deal with them and should people writ large be using them? What are they? What do they do? What's in them? And what are other issues or things that we need to consider as additional variables? So many questions, so let's get to it. What are they? Well, they are the latest and greatest according to the ads that you see for them and influencers touting them, but what they are really are just blends of different ingredients, many of which have been used as ergogenic aids for a long, long time. Things like caffeine, different amino acids, and sometimes collagen, depending on what the manufacturer is trying to target. Ergogenic aids are basically any substance that is supposed to increase speed, strength, power, time to exhaustion, or reduce recovery, with the ultimate aim of making workouts essentially more effective. The old, more bang-for-your-buck approach to working out. When we talk about these types of supplements in our Top Fuel for Top Performance workshop, we generally refer to them as the cherry on the top of the cupcake that is the rest of what you should be doing to make sure that you are fueling properly. The foundational pieces, as well as considering rest and a well-thought-out progressive training regimen. So what exactly is the mix of ingredients in these pre-workout supplements? It's really hard to say because many of them use these so-called proprietary blends. Basically, it's top secret so that they can hopefully edge out the competition because at the end of the day, what all supplements really are is a way for companies to make money in the multi-billion dollar diet and fitness industry. According to Hardy et al. in a 2018 review in the Journal of the International Society of Sports Nutrition, the majority of ingredients aren't listed beyond that proprietary blend description, making it difficult to compare apples to apples, as it were, as well as the fact that amounts of actual ingredients might vary and be more or less than what is needed to achieve the desired effect, usually less. The folks at Healthline did a very comprehensive review of several popular products and came up with a top choices list based on criteria like third-party testing of ingredients, claims backed up by research, etc., etc. And I put the link for that article in the show notes. But the thing to remember if you read this article is that the results they come up with are the best based on those criteria, but that the research that is used to support them isn't always conclusive, and so these rankings are probably more subjective than at first glance they would have you believe. So let's go through some of these common ingredients. Caffeine is very common and often the number one ingredient. The same reason that energy drinks are popular, more on that in another episode, caffeine has long been used as a supplement. Whether it's for surviving the early morning commute or crushing that workout, its role is essentially as a stimulant. It makes you feel more alert, making you feel more focused while minimizing feelings of tiredness. It works on or in many different systems in the body and has been found to improve cognition and performance during endurance, power, and resistance exercises. 300 milligrams of caffeine, which you would get in about three cups of coffee, is what has been shown to be the dose adequate to produce the effect. However, most of the research on caffeine has found more of an effect of caffeine on endurance activities as opposed to when used in weight training. 
there's 85 to 275 milligrams or so of caffeine in the pre-workouts, but the studies are showing that you need 300 milligrams to get an effect, so maybe it's not actually even sufficient which is interesting considering the other aspect we have to think about is that most adults should consume no more than 400 milligrams of caffeine in any given day. So depending on how much actual caffeine or caffeinated energy drinks a person may be also consuming, there might be a little bit of this sense of jitteriness and inability to sleep as a side effect of all this caffeine, which might actually perpetuate a cycle of needing caffeine to function instead of getting the recommended amount of sleep, which is when the actual magic of muscle building and fat burning truly happens. So as usual, common sense prevails. Maybe have a morning cup of coffee, and if you want to use the pre-workout, then switch to decaf coffee as the beverage of choice for the rest of your day, and drink lots of water to stay hydrated, and maybe skip the energy drinks. Then there's nitric oxide. It's not generally found in the pre-workout supplements because of how it needs to be ingested and metabolized to work. Nitric oxide, again, according to the paper by Hardy et al., is a vital signaling molecule that has been shown to increase blood flow to active muscles, in which case they are increasing oxygen efficiency and increasing time to exhaustion. In other words, you can work out longer without getting tired, so you can do more reps, do more weight, and hopefully see more results. But to get the nitric oxide to where it needs to go, it has to be ingested as nitrate, at which point it undergoes a series of transformations starting in the mouth and then in the stomach or peripheral tissues in situations where there is little to no oxygen or in a hypoxic state. So a person can consume nitrates in the form of a beetroot juice concentrate or in the case of pre-workout supplements as L-arginine and L-citrulline as these are claimed to increase the levels of nitric oxide. Arginine has not been found to be very effective, but citrulline, which is a precursor to arginine, when consumed in combination with malate, so you need to make sure that if it's got L-arginine in it, it also has malate in it, then it has been found to increase performance by way of vasodilation, but the amounts that are required are generally higher than what is found in the pre-workout supplements. So again, it might actually end up being a moot point. Creatine has been used as a workout supplement for a very long time, with research showing varying levels of efficacy depending on a variety of factors such as type of activity, how it's being consumed, whether the study participants are trained or novice, and what is actually being measured. Creatine is found in fish, red meat, pork, and chicken. So if you eat meat, you're getting creatine. But as with many things, more is often believed to be better, so creatine supplementation has gained wide usage in weight training circles. It has been shown to be effective in increasing intramuscular phosphocreatine levels when consumed at levels of 5 grams per day after a 20 gram per day loading period. What those numbers should be telling you is that the amount of creatine in the pre-workout would need to be quite significant and there would need to have been a pre-loading period in order for any of the benefit to be seen. Otherwise, maybe just go get a creatine supplement or choose a pre-workout that doesn't contain creatine since creatine is actually more effective post-workout Anyway, betaine is a derivative of glycine and may increase rates of endogenous, in your body, creatine synthesis, as well as increasing blood levels of nitric oxide and promoting fluid and thermal homeostasis, which is basically just hydration and temperature regulation. But if it's present in pre-workout supplements, it is generally in amounts far lower than what any testing has shown to be an effective or required dose. Then there's beta-alanine, which is also very commonly found in pre-workout supplements. It is a precursor to carnosine, which acts as an intramuscular pH buffer. Testing doses in the research were in the range of 4 to 6 grams daily to get the results reported. 
The pre-workouts listed in the Healthline article show amounts ranging from 1.6 to 3.2 grams, which is unlikely to have the desired outcome, while still resulting in that paresthesia or that tingling sensation that many people experience. So all the downside with potentially none of the up. Taurine is thought to be responsible for decreasing muscle soreness, but the dosages required are 1 to 3 grams per day for 1 to 2 weeks, and the results were actually inconclusive, so maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. The amounts in the pre-workout supplements aren't going to provide that amount anyway, so the results are definitely going to be more on the maybe it doesn't side of the equation. Branch chain amino acids are leucine, isoleucine, and valine, and they are essential amino acids. Amino acids, of course, are those building blocks of muscle and all other body tissues. They are considered essential in that we can't make them ourselves, as we can some of the other amino acids, and so we need to get those from our diet. Branched-chain amino acids have been very popular in the bodybuilding world because exercise is known to catabolize muscle, which is the opposite of what most people who go to the gym want to accomplish. So if supplementing with BCAA can increase muscle building or anabolism, that would be beneficial. The studies conducted all used the words in the results may reduce muscle damage, and all the studies were small and used up to 14 grams of branched-chain amino acids in addition to whey protein and carbohydrates. So again, the effects the studies did see could not actually be solely attributed to the branched-chain amino acids. The amounts present in a pre-workout supplement will unlikely have the desired effects. Tyrosine is a precursor to dopamine and norepinephrine, and research by Junkies et al. in the Journal of Psychiatric Research has shown the potential to have supplementation of tyrosine increase performance and cognitive function while under stress. That would be something incredibly useful for everyone these days. However, the findings are dependent on people's pre-existing neurotransmitter functioning and does not translate to use in exercise situations because there are simply too many other contributing variables. So if you need to do a task under duress, tyrosine supplementation could be very effective in netting you a positive outcome. But if you wanted to be able to be more focused during a workout, the results aren't going to be as cut and dried. Other random ingredients that a pre-workout supplement may also contain include collagen, which is a key ingredient in beauty products to try to counter the effects of aging on collagen breakdown in the body. It is added to pre-workouts labeled or promoted as being effective in injury reduction because collagen is, of course, an ingredient touted as being injury reduction in orientation because collagen has a role in the production of muscle, tendon, and ligaments, but it might not be as impactful because collagen intake can't actually fully prevent or undo the damage caused by aging or injury. It's got a role, but it's not magical. It's kind of like when the elastic in your underwear goes, when it's gone, it's gone. Additionally, any benefit of collagen supplementation that was found was only shown to happen in a postmenopausal female population, so is not necessarily able to be extrapolated and applied to a young and or male population. What does break down collagen prematurely is smoking and excessive drinking, so modifying those might actually be better options to consider in terms of the benefits that that would have on physical training results. Part of the challenge of trying to prove or determine effects of any of the ingredients discussed is that there are so many different things that need to be considered in doing any research study. The dosages and frequency of dosing, the type of activity studied, and how it compares to what an actual activity would look like in the gym. Usually only one or two types of activity or exercise that are examined as opposed to what the desired effects would be over the course of a complete body workout or training regimen. It's generally in the studies to exhaustion at 75 to 80 plus percent maximum, and so it isn't necessarily comparable to how most people work out regularly. 
The participants in the studies often also vary from highly trained to almost not at all trained. Most of them are younger, most of them are men, and in almost all cases are using only a small number of participants or subjects. So most of these studies would really only ever be able to be considered preliminary findings and not necessarily applicable to the general population or even specific populations with very specific goals and needs. Now that's not to say that there isn't a possible benefit of supplements of any kind, or in the case of what we're looking at today, the pre-workout supplements. Simply that what you might be getting in whatever supplement you choose to purchase may not be giving you what you need in terms of the amounts or even the combinations of things to have the most positive or most significant outcomes. Then there is the placebo effect that simply cannot be overlooked. Although there is generally a placebo control in the studies, there is absolutely a placebo effect in the general population where where you take something that you have heard will work, you take it expecting a positive result, and so you will have already told yourself subconsciously that you're going to be able to work harder for longer and do more, so that's going to have a positive outcome, if that's what you in fact end up doing. And then there's the case of the beta alanine tingly sensation. That's an actual visceral feeling that can really motivate a person to get to the gym, to get the benefit of whatever it is that might be making that difference. That cannot, of course, be diminished in its importance of how it's going to make you feel and in that moment perform. But at the end of the day, the differences you may feel or eventually see are really as a result of your hard work, not something that you bought and consumed. It's always been a matter of mind over matter, and people have been having a lot of success for a long time, but have also always been looking for shortcuts for as long as there's been a need for a competitive advantage. So what this means to people considering using them or those who are already using them is that it's up to you to decide whether you want to spend your money on something that may or may not have as much to do with your performance or any results that you see as you might think. Don't underestimate the power of consistently showing up, of making sure that you have a plan that allows for reasonable and consistent progression that builds in enough rest, both between sets and between workouts. Make sure that you are following a balanced training plan cardio, flexibility, and muscle conditioning, strengthening, building, however you want to look at it. Are you getting enough sleep? And are you eating well? And by that, I mean sensibly. With grocery prices at an all-time high, it is probably more important than ever to spend your money on those three to five meals a day. Then make sure that they are timed appropriately to when you work out and consist of the three major macronutrients, carbohydrate, protein, and fat, in proportion to what they each contribute. Fuel, energy, building blocks, all of it in a way that is sustainable and promotes overall health, not just giant muscles. If there is any money left over and you have that solid foundation of nutrition, sleep, and a training regimen in place, then maybe that pre-workout supplement can be the cherry on that cupcake, that little something extra that gets you that little bit closer to whatever your ultimate goal is. But if you're just starting out or you're on a budget, maybe starting with the basics and just having a cup of coffee before you work out is all you need to get you going and moving towards your best, healthiest, and most buff self, whatever that looks like and means for you. The bottom line is that some of you might not like what you heard. Some probably never even made it to this point, but we would be irresponsible in saying that a pre-workout or for that matter, any supplement is something that everyone or anyone needs to consider. In fact, there is some research that is showing there might in fact be some negative impacts to our gut microbiomes when we add supplements like those we talked about to the mix. It's simply not as black and white as the manufacturers and sellers of the products would have you believe. Their goal is simply to part you from your money. Hard work, perseverance, and consistency are far more important than anything you can put in a shaker and swallow other than perhaps the water. 
Hopefully you were walking away at least considering that maybe you can save that money and put it towards a nice vacation. In the end, knowledge is power and making a decision based on the facts is still a win. The choice will always be yours to make. Thanks for listening. Hope you'll join us again next episode as we dive deep into another interesting, though perhaps not as controversial topic. In the meantime, take care, stay healthy, and we'll see you on the flip-flop.